You know, we're lucky Lenore lost this. Uh, she didn't lose it. What? When I spoke to the medical examiner at the cemetery, he told me that both contact lenses were on the body. But that's impossible. If it isn't hers, whose was it? Who knows? Anyway, it doesn't make any difference. The fact that it's not the real contact lens, that doesn't count. What does count is Mr. Brimmer's actions. Coming here tonight, trying to get rid of that thing, and doing it all in front of witnesses. All you've done if the car hadn't broken down. You couldn't set up the strap. Well, I guess we would have found some other way. You know what this place reminds me of? Just seeing all these cars. You know, uh, in our neighborhood, we had a bunch of jokers. I mean, we were a real wild bunch of guys. And we figured out a perfect way to put a car out of commission. You take a potato, you stick it in the exhaust pipe. It doesn't cause any damage, but the car won't start. It was a terrible thing to do. And I got a feeling that the reason I became a cop was to make up for all those jokes I played when I was a kid. This is William Link, and you're listening to TV Confidential. And Robert Malafa guests Joseph Doherty and David Koenig as we continue our special roundtable discussion about the original Columbo on NBC during the 1970s and the revival of Columbo that aired on ABC in the late 80s, early 1990s. David Koenig, author of Shooting Columbo, The Lives and Deaths of TV's Rumpel Detective. Shooting Columbo, available wherever books are sold through Bonaventure Press. You can also find it. Amazon.com, BarnesNoble.com, wherever books are sold online. Joseph Doherty, Emmy Award-winning writer, director, producer, such classic shows as 30-something, Saving Grace, Pretty Little Liars. Also the author of the award-winning stage production, Chester Bailey, Joe's new book, A Screenwriter's Companion, Instruction, Opinion, Encouragement is available for pre-order right now through Amazon.com. Tony Figueroa is also with us, along with Dan Farron of Story Salon. When we went to break, Dan was talking about Jackson Gillis's contributions to Columbo, including the classic episode Suitable for Framing, and how Gillis's contributions to other mystery series and mystery books, including the original Hardy Boys series produced by Disney, was one of the things that first got Dan interested in the mystery genre in general. As we pick up the conversation, Dan has a question for David. And uh, David, what, what's your opinion of Jackson Gillis? And, and what have you found when you were digging up uh, on this stuff? Just immensely talented and probably... Um, the most underrated of the, you know, if you had a, a Mount Rushmore of, uh, of the people most important to Columbo, he would he would be in contention to be up there. Yet he's the, I mean, everybody, you say Levinson and Link and Patrick McGowan and and uh, uh, Peter Falk, of course. But then, you know, to me, Jackson Gillis would be right right next because it's just so many of the innovations um through Columbo and sort of establishing how an episode, a good episode at least, should be written. He pioneered and then, um, you know, contributed so many of the best scripts that there were and even later would constantly try to introduce new things to the, the format and new twists. That, that's 
a difference between a, a, a Jackson Gillis script and one of the often lesser scripts would be the lesser script might there be a murder with a clue and then one by one by one by one by one by one uh, Columbo wouldn't cover those clues until he pinned the guy with the with the big gotcha clue. And Jackson Gillis always liked to switch it up in the middle, halfway, two thirds of the way through. All of a sudden, it was a totally different story. And you're like, wait, what? That's, you know, so, I mean, even I'm not crazy about Last Salute to the Commodore, but I just love the the idea of, uh, and probably his original script of, uh, you know, the the person everybody thinks is the murderer, and then you know, an hour in, he's dead and it's like wait what the heck i've been watching this all wrong and he's got suitable for framing and in almost every episode well, yeah, suit, yeah suitable he, for framing has as i mean it's the other years like when you find out he it's about who inherits whether or not you inherit and it's like uh yes i killed someone but i needed to kill someone in order to frame someone <laughs> they, those yeah that that <laughs> it's like a, just going into the third act kind of kind of exactly, twist exactly. joseph doherty is with us via zoom along with david koenig joe doherty emmy award-winning writer producer director and playwright while david koenig is the author of such books as shooting columbo the lives and deaths of tv's rumple detective dan farron of story salon is also with us along with tony figaro we're glad you're with us as we take a deep dive into both the original columbo from NBC and the ABC Columbo from the late 80s, early 1990s. Shooting Columbo by David Koenig, available wherever books are sold online. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back. Joe. Well, uh, you know what? The, I, I just realized something, <clears throat> and again, I think it's something that, that, that David mentions. The book is there's the one real setback between the ABC shows and the NBC shows is they couldn't cast big enough stars to be the murderers and you were left with in a lot of the cases good actors some some better than others um but that that great confrontation you knew was was going to begin from from the entrance of of into this into this ordered world of homicide it was going to come someone who was just observant. I mean, Dan and I talk a lot about uh, Falk speech in uh, Mile High IQ when he talks mm-hmm. to when he talks about how I, I when I got the police force, I knew there were a lot of people who were smarter than me and, and better than me. But if I really worked hard, I'd be good at this, and I really love my job. And that's a kind of textual moment with a character sounds like something Falk would have asked for specifically. Uh, and I'd like to know a little bit more about how, because we did talk about how like he just wanted the character to have a broader life. Um, but we just, you know, we just love this guy going up against people who had more money than we did. Um, <laughs> and, it, you know, and it's, it's again, it's like, it's, it's uh, with the exception of, um, with the exception of Donald Pleasance, who mm-hmm. I think we all wanted to get away with it. Uh, <laughs> um, and to some extent, Johnny Cash. Man. Yeah, there's, but it's like even so that when even when the form was a little dented like that, or with the or with uh, John Payne taking the rap for Janet Lee when you discover she yes. when you discover the murderer who may not have remembered committing the crime. Um, 
and and Peter Fox is in a tuxedo. Um, I also want to thank you again, and and uh, and then I'll shut up and stop gushing. But I want to thank you for going into detail with uh, Prescription Murder, the play. Because when I read the play, I was thrown for such a loop because the ending is different. Yeah. And and if I'm remembering this right, you basically said Joseph Cotton didn't want to play it that way. Yeah, well, so, well they didn't want Joseph Cotton, who's the big star and was the, the lead of the movie, to be everybody to hate him leaving the <laughs> leaving the theater. So it was like, oh, he had to have a, a change of heart at the very end. Oh, thank goodness I'm going to confess now. And, and, and then you you don't feel so mad at him that he committed this cold-blooded murder. But, uh, no, it, it, well, it works I, better I like than the movie the better. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, oh, yeah. We, we talked about this the last time you visited us, David. Um, it's sort of a happy accident that there's a Columbo series to begin with because had the play, um, had, the, had the stage version of Prescription Murder taken off beyond the original production um i forget the venue you'll 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 correct me but it was um but besides joseph cotton it starred agnes moorhead had it not been had 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 that coalesced better than it actually did the play may have gone on and toured and um uh, levinson and link would not have had the liberty to develop the series and improve upon the play as they did with prescription Mur- murder the movie which he would which they were able to do when the rights to the production reverted back to them that's probably true you know we don't know because it didn't happen but uh yeah it was not and, and the big turning point was the death or, or leaving the cast initially of thomas mitchell because he was only i mean everybody makes a big deal about oh thomas mitchell was the uh, originated this role but he only played it for a few weeks and then he got terminally ill had to return to california and for the rest of the uh uh the rest of the run um they had the understudy played the part of columbo which is the big you know that's the key even though it's not the lead it's the key the whole thing turns on that he was the one thomas mitchell was the one who would get the standing ovations at the end because he's the the unique character that everybody everybody loved and the understudy didn't have that sort of you know, impish flair that, that Thomas Mitchell did. So once he left the production, you know, the, the it was no longer sold out every night. And they started blaming Levinson and Link and, uh, and, and it sort of petered out and didn't, and, and never did make it to Broadway. David, I want to ask you a question that's, uh, it's kind of a hypothetical question. It's not really kind of fair to throw it at you, but I'm just curious, uh, prescription murder and ransom for a dead man, the two pilots, Right. Um, if they had decided to go with prescription murder, what do you think that Columbo would have looked like? I mean, would it have eventually evolved into the uh, Ransom for a Dead Man Columbo, or do you think it, it might have had a few bumpy episodes there? It, oh, if they would have gone straight away? Yeah, straight I away. I think it, would have, uh, it, it probably would have eventually ended up to the Columbo we know now instead of the fellow with the nicer suit and and actually a haircut and, you know, he shaves <laughs> like, or, you know, and he, he's not the big slob and he's got a nice shirt, a nice tie. And it's not sort of halfway hanging off. And, uh, yeah, it's the same character, you know, as written in the, in the play, uh, in the screenplay, but not, the, not quite anywhere near where, where Peter Falk would take it. And certainly if they had 
if they had started it right after prescription murder, I think it would have taken much longer to get there. Because a, a big, a big influence on Columbo becoming Peter Falk, not just Peter Falk becoming Columbo, was John Cassavetes working with um, Peter and encouraging him to pour more and more of himself into each role that he did. Um, and that's what happened with, with Columbo is, is all the things we love about him are the things that Peter Falk pulled out of himself um, to build into that character. Um, the, the skeleton of the character was there um, in the script. And even the, you know, the, the main catchphrase was there, but if you watch it, what's missing is the, you know, the three dimensional person he became by investing himself into that. And that's why everybody you talked to who worked with him through the show would say, yeah, yeah, Peter was Columbo. You know, he was always forgetting stuff and he was, you know, obscenely polite, you know, and, and, uh, slow, but yet really whip smart, you know, he's, he's a super genius guy. I mean, he was it. It's like an accountant, a financial person before he became an actor. Um, and this right. guy that just everybody loved, even when when he drove him crazy. <laughs> it is interesting because you look at prescription murder and then you look at Ransom for Dead Man and it's all something's happened between those two pieces uh, because it's all there. Yeah. Um, and it's remarkable. And, you know, and it's, it's so great to see him and he's playing against Lee Grant. And it's so it's. But the only, yeah, he's, he has a haircut, but he's still trying to borrow a pencil in prescription murder. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> well, the pencil gag, like, that, was, that was Peter Falk's idea, right? That's what I always heard, legend. That was just to throw off the guest star. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think that was an original conception for the character dating back to the play, is that he, you know, that was sort of a little bit of a, a, a shtick thing that he should sort of underplay everything and you know constantly looking for a pencil and you know as un, whatever he could do to be unassuming and rather than come in and seem like he knew what he was doing so that the the villain would you know oh my gosh i'm this millionaire genius you know psychologist or doctor or whatever and here's this schmuck you know who just you know hasn't showered in three days and look at he he's got a hard-boiled egg in his pocket <laughs> you know he's, he's looking for his dog and you know whatever and, and just and how he acted lent itself more to that uh, you know caricature that they thought they were they were sitting in it took them you know some people maybe robert Culp, it might bug them a little quicker and others it would it take them an hour before they realized oh crud <laughs> He's not the idiot. I think. I think he is. <laughs> There's. Oh God. It's. Uh, yeah. Pencils. Um, dropping things. One more thing. The dog. The car. But, I, I, but first of all, I don't think there's an actor like Falk working today um, who would really be entitled to that kind of 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 do-it-yourself character building. I mean, his training, I mean, most of the actors today are, it's all flash and, and, and dark and darkness too. I think that's another reason why we, we, we go to Columbo. There's, they are lighter pieces. They are, as like dancing, kind of like a little, they're better than Agatha Christie's because Agatha Christie was just like 
you just watch the last 10 minutes and you'd be satisfied. But at Columbia, you had to watch everything. As I say, shoes. Shoes are very important. He wore high tops before oh. they were cool. <laughs> but one of they the were fun... ruined, And they were ruined by a stuntman? I think he yeah, there, it, the book. Yeah, it was in that Janet Leigh uh, episode where he has to figure out how did she get from the upstairs to the upstairs to the downstairs back again and how she did it was going through a tree so he had to go off a balcony into a tree and so uh, the stunt man for some reason they let the stunt man wear peter fox own shoes and he, he fell broke his ankle and the only way they could get the shoe off was to cut it and if you look um he would after that he did wear a slightly different pair of shoes or he'd wear the same shoes that had been stitched up. And you could see that, that years later they auctioned off the shoes or donated them to somewhere. And you could see that it's the authentic pair of shoes because there's on that right foot back toward the ankle, there's a cut that's been stitched up where that, that stuntman had to be rescued. You know, I think one of the things that I enjoy the most, and I believe you talked about this in the book, was that oftentimes there were little bits of business or conversations that really had nothing to do with the story. It didn't propel the story along. It didn't do anything like that at all. But this show could get away with that because there was something very endearing about it that was really more character-based. And, and really, even though it wasn't that important, it still was a valuable – it was something we wanted to hear about the character or you know, or, or something like that. I just, I just love those little throwaway stuff that has nothing to do going to get chili or stopping to, to get a newspaper or something like that. There's, they're wonderful conversations. Yeah. Well, Peter Falk really loved those scenes. That was, those were his favorite scenes to work on. Many of them he, he wrote himself. Um, or would rewrite himself, or would, you know, just improvise on the, they'd start out, the, you know, maybe a half a, a simple half script page scene that he would expand to four pages by the time it was, by the time he was through with it, because he thought that was really an important part of the character. And in the beginning, the people who worked on the show were people like Levinson and Link and Dean Hargrove, and people who were into the, the mystery and the story as much or more than they were the character. And then later on in the NBC years, um, you had people like Patrick McGowan and Elaine May and Richard Allen Simmons. And, and then most of the people who worked on the ABC years who liked the character a lot more than they liked the story and the mystery. And they started encouraging Peter to, you know, play a tuba or whatever, <laughs> or drive around <laughs> in circles in a car you know, when he's drunk for eight or whatever, just those character developing scenes, which, uh, which, which he actually preferred to the, you know, the actual solving of the case. In Colombo available wherever books are sold. David Kalnick is with us, along with Joseph Doherty, Dan Farron, and Tony Figueroa. We are glad that you are with us and we'll continue our Colombo roundtable after this quick timeout here on TV Confidential. This Week in TV History now has its own podcast. You can enjoy This Week in TV History with Tony Figueroa on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you find podcasts. Be part of our conversation. If you like what you hear, have thoughts on this week's program, or have an idea for a future edition of TV Confidential, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at talk at tvconfidential.net, talk at tvconfidential.net. You can also message us at facebook.com forward slash tvconfidential, x.com forward slash TV Confidential or at 
TV Confidential on Instagram. And if you're listening to us on the TV Confidential podcast, please be sure to hit the subscribe button. This portion of TV Confidential is brought to us by our friends at Front Porch Realty, the community of realtors in the Northern Bay Area of California that is committed to finding the solution that is best for their clients. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or looking to sell or lease your property in Northern California, call Karen Strain at 415-886-7411 or visit frontporchrealtygroup.com for more information on how they can help you.